Welcome everybody to the Pierce Point Podcast. We are going to be tackling parts of Luke 12 today. And I want to kind of say at the outset, we've got a lot of comments on Luke 12, and we're going to interject those as we arrive at those particular verses. So instead of just kind of commenting right at the outset, we're going to bring those comments in as we get to the particular verses in question. So a couple of those comments will include uh, Sarah, my wife Sarah, who had commented on verse 15, Jonathan and Bobby, who had responded responded to that, and then um, also Matt Wesley, who uh, gave some thoughts on verses 8 through 10, 22 through 34, 35 through 48, and 49 through 53. So we'll get to all of those as we go, and we hope that that really um, uh, encourages you because this is what we're trying to aim for. We want to have this greater conversation uh, in our time together in this podcast. So let's jump right in. Luke chapter 12, starting at verse 1. What's something that stands out to you, sir? Well, this was uh, this was very, a very uh, uh, kind of a uh, carryover from the previous chapter because it starts off says under these circumstances if you have to go if you go back to the circumstances that Luke is talking about there the last verse that we read in verse or in, in chapter in chapter 11 said plotting against him uh, to catch him in something you might say so the Pharisees had been uh, closely questioning Christ on many of the things that he had said, and they had 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 begun uh, plotting against him to be able to catch him in something else that he had, that he might say. Seemingly, that would be easy because he was saying a lot at that time. Yeah, pretty pretty insightful things uh, at times, uh, insightful but also inciting yes. uh, against them. Uh, I think it's wonderful if we're thinking through an interpretive method or that fancy word hermeneutic. Um, we see that this, all of this instruction Jesus gives is not given in a vacuum. Mm-hmm. And the reason I point that out is that just as much as um, the Pharisees or the different audiences uh, have either agendas or filters by which to hear what Jesus is saying, Jesus also has a filter by which he might communicate. Mm-hmm. So if he knows that these people are looking to trap him, he tends to take that seriously Absolutely, and he yes. will he will shoot hard at times. And so I think we need to keep that in mind. Jesus was 100% God, 100% man, but he would know their hearts and he would address them in bold mm-hmm. ways because he knew their hearts. So I, I think that that's wonderful uh, thought to keep in mind when we're saying, man, what's Jesus saying? It helps us to it helps us to realize sometimes he's being aggressive mm-hmm. with these people. It's not hippie Jesus, exactly. as we've talked about before. Many times, I, I think that the Pharisees gave him fodder for this. They, they just couldn't seem to uh, uh, understand that sometimes it's better just to shut up, maybe. Yes. <laughs> let yes. him. But anyway, in this case, we, we see that starting in, in verse 1, that there were... Uh, literally, it says here, after so many thousands of people had gathered together, and the the if, if you look that up, they, they, they called it a myriad of people. So that could be tens of thousands of people yes. had gathered together so much so that they were stepping on one another. They were trampling each other. Some of the some of the uh, translations say so. 
he starts right off with a with some, with something that is not going to uh, uh, garner many friends. It's uh, he says he says beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, and he right off the bat tells tells him exactly what he's talking about hypo- hypocrisy. Now we know leaven to be the things that causes bread to raise, and uh, so and 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 it's. Uh, uh, it being in that world for a while, and uh, I can tell you that once you get it into a dough, it will it absolutely permeates the entire they call it the lump of dough. It will go through everything. So once that leaven of the Pharisees starts, it permeates everything. He says he, but it's it's uh, now it is a little bit difficult to know. Whether in when Jesus what is talked about, he began saying to his disciples, and we'll talk more about this as we go. It's is he talking to the to his uh, his disciples or the multitude? So we see that that changes. I think many uh, some of this you'll see is directly to, toward the disciples, and some of it is somewhat to everybody. So we'll yeah. see more of that as we go. Absolutely, I think one thought that. Um, has always impressed me when we're talking about leaven is that the Bible will speak of leaven uh, in two ways, a positive way and a negative Mm -hmm. way. It will talk about the kingdom of God being, you know, um, or the people of the kingdom of God be leaven that are working through this world. So that's in a positive uh, light. And then, of course, we have this continual statement of leaven in a negative way. Mm -hmm. In this, this is really important for us to understand that Jesus is pointing out that the 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 Pharisees' hypocrisy is troublesome. It is a problem. So he goes from verse 1, defined it clearly, as you said, beware the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There's no wiggle room in his meaning. So then verse 2, he says, but there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. Mm. Accordingly, whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in the inner rooms will be proclaimed upon the housetops. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body after uh, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will warn you, uh, whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. The important thing for me in all of this is that Jesus is effectively saying, listen, that their hypocrisy will one day be shown for what it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They're going to be really convincing right now. They're going to lead people astray. Jesus would say elsewhere, uh, woe to those who who cause one of these little ones to stumble. You've brought this up many times in the podcast. Uh, It would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. Those are pretty harsh words. Yes, they are. But the idea here is that he would stress that their actions, those hidden motives that these people have, one day will be revealed. Now, here's what I think is staggering. Their hidden motives may, in fact, lead to people dying. Mm-hmm. They may kill your body. They may the, the, These people killed the prophets in times past. Jesus would say to them, even if that is the end, don't fear them mm-hmm. because they can't do anything eternally. You fear God. You trust him. You listen to him. You do it his way. You don't worry about these people, those are staggering words. They are, and you think about the the pulpit, if you will, that these that these men held. 
they held a lot of people's lives and souls in the balance of of things. The very the very word that he accuses them of the hypocrisy is a, is a Greek term. It's a it's a drama term. It means play acting. It's a, it's a Greek literary term that they used with with when they would do Greek plays. So the 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 very definition of the word shows what they were what they were about. And and when you think about the the people that looked to them for everything that they knew about God, my goodness, they were in a bad spot. They were in a really bad spot. This is another one of those moments where taking a step back and really analyzing how we have the biblical text, what its original language was in, and this is the importance of the the question, what was the date uh, of this particular writing? Here's, Here's why I bring those things up. Here's why I think those are important. Number one, yes, this is an account of something that really happened. Make no mistake, this happened. And Luke is a detailed guy, which which leads me to the understanding that what, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, that's an important piece mm-hmm. to this, but it leads me to believe that what he is saying are very detailed accounts of what took place. However, when he wrote it was, according to scholars, it was written later in his life. He's he's undertaking to rewrite this account or to record this account so that people knew what happened. In doing that, he is using the Greek term play acting mm-hmm. for hypocrite. Now, Jesus defined it, right? The, the problem of the Pharisees is their hypocrisy. The leaven of the Pharisees is their hypocrisy. But... Luke chooses to use this Greek word that says, this is how serious we are about this. It is a show they're putting on. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His Greek readers or his readers who would understand Greek are looking at that word going, not only did Jesus say it, but Luke is stressing that these guys are pretenders. Certainly. They're pretenders. That, maybe that's not something you think of when you're studying the Bible, but that is something that that you need to at least be aware of or be open to hearing because Luke is writing this after the fact and he is using words that would make his hearers go, whoa, Mm -hmm. we're serious about Mm -hmm. the pretending of these particular people. Mm -hmm. Just total geekiness. He completely completely starts to address uh, when when he says in verse 2, for there is nothing... uh, covered that will or uh, that will not be revealed the very act of being a hypocrite depends on you being able to conceal what you are it's 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 notable that you know we can only be hypocrites before man god knows better god sees what 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 man doesn't see and and so when when Jesus says there is nothing covered up that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known, he 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 had just said that the leaven of the Pharisees is hypo- hypocrisy, but he said there's nothing covered up that will not be revealed. Even their very motive of their heart is going to be revealed. Yeah, one day those masks are coming off. Absolutely right? right. That gives me peace. I think it should, it was intended to give the hearers peace. It's intended to give Luke's readers peace that, sure, these people are these people are even plotting at times to kill you. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. but they will be revealed for who they are. So you take heart in that. So in, in verse five, we reiterate this point, but I will warn you of whom to fear. Mm-hmm. Fear the one who, after he is killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. This idea of fearing the Lord is not a a new concept, right? Fear the Lord and keep his commandments. These are the echoes of David. These are the echoes throughout the entire Old Testament. And this idea of fear here has everything to do with reverence. It is all. It is an all that should lead Mm -hmm. us to obedience in our life. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Paul or Luke is not saying to his hearers, um, hey, I want you to understand something. I, I don't want you to fear the, the Pharisees. I want you to run scared from God. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen, don't worry about them. What you should worry about, what you should fear, what you should revere is the fact that God has this authority and you you should trust him. You should mm-hmm, be on his mm-hmm. side. That's mm-hmm. the point of all of this. If you think about the very thing that happened to, to many of these guys, every... Uh, uh, all of them, with exception of John, would die a martyr's death. I, I, and, and, and Jesus is saying, uh, don't worry about the one that's going to kill the body. That's not the one that you need to be worried about. He, he made it very clear to them uh, that, that this mortal life is not the most important thing that we possess. It's that, that, that this body is going to die one day. But he goes on to explain to them, uh, that th- this is not our most important thing that we possess in this life is not necessarily this body. Now, should we do everything we can do to to try to take care and try? To, absolutely, we should. But there is a point at which uh, we know this is this 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 earthly life is going to come to an end. Absolutely. So in verse five, we have that we have that great word there that causes a lot of. Uh, lot of debate in the church, which is he has the authority to cast into hell. Mm-hmm. Um, the term there, hell, in the Greek is literally translated Gehenna, uh, or the Valley of Hinnom, mm-hmm. which um, which we've done a, a, a good deal of study on. Um, now, here here's the deal. No matter whether or not uh, this has a literal location, which it's it seems clear it does, a literal location, or... The idea of eternal punishment, the point here was the symbol for the place where the unrighteous would go um, and they would be punished. So uh, we, we tend to miss the point of the words because we're arguing whether or not hell is a real place or all those other things. I firmly believe that there is a place outside of the presence of God that we do not want to be, mm-hmm. where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. There is also a lot of imagery in the Bible that communicates the the misery of that state, of that place in which people are. Mm-hmm. There are greater debates on whether or not God is just annihilating people or whether there's eternal conscious punishment and all of this, which is definitely for another podcast. But my point still remains that when this is said here, even if the hearers heard Gehenna and thought, oh, we know where Gehenna is, there was still a symbolism that said the unrighteous are going to go to a place of punishment, and they knew it. Mm -hmm. This is Jewish. This is is Gentile culture. They, They knew this 
well. Mm-hmm. So it would really not do us well to try to play like they didn't understand it or only took it literal as only that garbage dump mm-hmm. over there. Mm-hmm. It was more than that. I I also like uh, what Luke says in verse five. He 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 tells them who who you are whom to fear. He says, but this is this is uh, not a fear that is. Uh, uh, that that is uh, just a mortal fear of God because you don't know what He's going to do. But it, in the very next verse, He He says, "Are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten before God." So this is a, as you've said, is a reverent fear. We 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 shouldn't we shouldn't ever, in a reverent fear of God, think that He is has forgotten us or will not take care of us or doesn't know what's going on in our in our world he's the very hairs of your head are all are all numbered now i i don't there again it's a symbol i think i don't think god has a number for every hair that's on your head could could he do that if he wants to yes he could but the but the idea that jesus is trying to get across he said don't don't fear the, the fact that God is real or that he he knows you and cares about you and knows everything that's going on in your world, you're more valuable than sparrows yes. way more and he takes care of them. Yeah. So this is a this is a real a really uh, uh, sometimes it's it can be challenging to understand exactly what Jesus is trying to say here. But we have to go through the whole thing to get the yeah. entire gist of everything. So so here's an important just contextual filter to be thinking through. If we if we are studious here, we realize that the warning that has been stated is watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees. Watch out for their hypocrisy. The caution to the Christian, the caution to those trusting in Jesus or following him is don't fear them, fear God. Mm-hmm. Okay? Then we go right into these statements about a sparrow and hairs of your head and value and all of this. And what happens in the church today is we speak these out of their context and we talk about them in just a positive light. And, and this is true, so I don't want to fully downplay it. But listen, if God takes care of the sparrows, he'll take care of you. If God knows the numbers, uh, the hairs on your head, the number of the hairs on your head, then, then what, do you, what do you got to worry about? We often speak that in a way that combats fear and anxiety and worry and those things. But there was a specific thing that was being pointed out here, and that was fear of man, mm-hmm, okay? Mm-hmm. And what he is then saying to the people is this, I really want to stress, Jesus is saying, I really want to stress to you how big your God is, this one you're supposed to revere, the one that you're supposed to fear and not men. And it's within that context that Jesus says, are not five sparrows sold for two cents, yet not one of them is forgotten before God. In other words, fear the God who doesn't forget you. Yes, absolutely. That's what he's saying. Yeah. Okay, sure, sure, don't be an anxious person and don't, you know, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. That's true. Don't miss that. It's just not what he's saying here. Mm-hmm. What he's saying is, if God cares for sparrows but but will not forget you, remember that's the God you fear. And then in the very next line, in verse 7, he says, Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Don't fear men. 
trust God. Mm-hmm. You're more mm-hmm. valuable to him, okay, than even those sparrows. So keeping all of that in mind, this is actually a reassurance that we should walk boldly after Jesus in front of men, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We're, we're scared a lot of what people will say, well, I don't want to, I don't want to say that. People are going to think I'm a fuddy-duddy. People are going to ridicule me. They're going to think I'm unloving. They're going to think I'm unkind. Well, they're going to think that whether you like it or not. Absolutely. The best thing for you to do is remember, you don't have to fear them. Right. Now, I am not here saying that that's easy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, so you and I can be good buddies and walk down that road of fear together because it's a challenging issue. But what I am saying is that in its context, what Jesus has said here is, don't fear men, fear the God who cares for the sparrows and cares more for you, who knows the number of the hairs on your head and loves you. Mm-hmm. Fear him. That's it's very encouraging words to these people. And, 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 and in light of everything that's been going on, especially those that have followed him closely, know that, that he's, his life's in danger at this point. And he says that that, that reverence for God and and don't fear man but but fear God but know that he cares for for you he says and and he gives them a a pretty stern warning he says and i say to you everyone who confesses me before men the son of man will confess him also before the angels of God stopping there for a second he mm-hmm. he has just said in front of all of these guys that that the son of man is going to confess those that confess Christ He's going to confess him before God. And they're like, wait a minute, how does this guy get before God to do anything? And then he says, but he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. I, I, I cannot imagine the, the, the uh, probably the looks of astonishment on the Pharisees' faces when he's saying, this is... This is getting weird here. This is not what we expected. This man is claiming to be on a level with God that no man can be. And uh, so things start to get dicey, I think, at this point. And, And again, to reiterate the point from before, all of this is a, it's a warning against Pharisees, but it's a caution to those following Jesus. So again, it is, it is, why would you, why would you fear men? Instead, fear the God who knows you, who cares more for you than sparrows. Yes. And then he says in verse 8, he says, And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God. Here's the, here's the assurance. If you fear my Father, if you fear God, who has the power over everything, right, to send you to hell or not, if you fear him and you confess me before men, all is well, right? Mm-hmm. This is mm-hmm. believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you will be saved. This is the gospel too, right? But then he says in verse 9, this again, this warning to those people. He says, but he who denies me before men, why would you deny Jesus before men? Because you fear men. Mm-hmm. This is all connected in its context. Absolutely. None of this is devoid of that. So, so he says, he who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. Because in that grand council, that's where this uh, affirmation or rejection is taking place, before the throne of God. Then verse 10, he says, and anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. 
But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him. And we need to we need to zoom in on that. But I wanted to share with you a, a, a point from Matt Wesley uh, on the YouVersion Bible. He said in verses 8 through 10, he said, the unforgivable sin. I often think of Peter, as many of us may, uh, may do when we read this. I think that rather a sustained stance rather than, I think that rather a sustained stance rather than remark or thought is what was the core idea here. As none of the gospels tell us that if once a remark made disparagingly against the Holy Spirit has been made, that it can't ever be altered. Mm-hmm. So, so again, this is really important. We have a category in our mind that says the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit means, blasphemy means some sort of phrase or utterance that we say against God's Spirit. Now, the problem with an interpretation like that, which is what Matt is trying to point out, that it that's that can't be what we're talking about. The problem with an interpretation like that is that we never know when it happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you said something when you were a kid, and now it's undoable because you committed the unforgivable sin. But here's what we start to see when we really zoom in on blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We see this as not just speaking a derogatory word against the Son. People did that. Yes. As Matt points out, even Jesus is like, I don't know this guy, okay? I'm not with him, or whatever it is, whatever happens in that. But as we're going to see throughout the context of this idea, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a full rejection of the saving power of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And guess why that's unforgivable? Because there is no other sacrifice for men by which they can be saved. This is the point of Scripture. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times, especially the way I was raised, um, you kind of heard this idea of be careful not to blaspheme the Holy Spirit as if you... You couldn't speak about charismatic or Pentecostal things and say, I'm not really sure that's God right there. That is not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. You can test the spirits. You can find out what's happening there. What we'll see in the context is that true blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a full out rejection of the Son of God as the only way by which men can be saved. Absolutely. And Jesus has dealt with things that, that hinge on that. If you think about in John 15, it talks about that the Spirit of God, one of the things that the Spirit of God does is to testify of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what you've said. Those that those that re- fully reject, they are have a settled rejection of 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 Christ or 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 the things that he does when he is proving that he is God. Think about this. Think about the rejection of Christ when you attribute his works to Satan. My, yes. I, that, that that is part of a rejection of Christ in in a in a very serious way. And these people have done that. And 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 that if you think about the the uh, that true blasphemy of the Spirit is as you said, it's more than just a just a a words or phrase. It's it's a it's a disposition in your life that rejects everything that's about Jesus and yes. everything that the Holy Spirit testifies about about Jesus. That's that that's where you're hinging in a true blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. 
my, we just, we read this, as you said, and we attribute a whole lot of things to this that it's totally not. It's just, it, it's just not in view of this. Let's go to Acts chapter 3, verse 17 through 21. I just want to read a, a section there and get, get some thoughts from, from this passage. Um, it says, and now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance, just as your rulers did also, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Therefore, repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ appointed for you, verse 21, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from the ancient time. The reason I bring that up is because these people at one point had spoken against this very Christ, this very, mm-hmm. this very Messiah. They had spoken against the very plan of God. Well, what do we read here? We, we read very clearly that you can, you can say things about the Son of Man, right? And anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. It was forgiven then. They were called to repentance. The problem is, is that if you reject the call to repentance, if you attribute what God is doing to the devil, if, you, if you're going to reject that outright, you're actually a part of the other team. Yes. This is unforgivable. Yes. This, yes. This, you're done now because yeah, you've fully rejected who he is. Absolutely. And that's, that's where the, the scripture that you brought out that says there at that point, there is no more sacrifice for sin. No. You, there's no other way to go. When you reject the only one that can truly atone for your sin, you have blasphemed the Spirit of God that says, this is, this is Jesus. And all of the prophets, uh, this, that same Spirit of God spoke to these guys and moved upon them for them to write yes. down the things that talked about Christ. And you said, ah, I don't believe it. Yes. You, you blasphemed the Spirit of God because that Spirit of God testifies about Christ and about what yeah. He was going to do. Yeah. We, we, again, and this is really important for our, our study, blasphemy to us often simply means speaking evil against mm-hmm. something. There's a, you know, um, they, remember, they accused Jesus of blasphemy when He said, I am who I am, you know, I am the son of God. Um, or you have spoken it, you know, as such, I believe that we found that in, um, in our, in our reading later, but the point remains that blasphemy can be speaking evil against, but it's not limited to that. The idea that, that blasphemy would, would also be hardening your heart against the, the works of God or the things of God. Well, that's exactly what these people do. They harden their hearts against the message of God. They're unrelenting in their opposition mm-hmm. to Him. And, and guess what? This, uh, this means that they are not led to faith. They're not putting their trust in God. They're putting them trust, trust in themselves. This will not be forgiven. Mm-hmm. So just some thoughts there. It is a, it's, it's, just, just a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, but you've got to get deep into it to get to the, the bottom of it because there's, yes. all, there's all kinds of thoughts about this out there. But in... Verse, I, I really, I, I love verse, verse 11 and 12 because I've heard this a lot. And, and uh, it says, when they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, first of all, uh, I'm sure that many folks have, have heard that and thought that, well, 
that means you can go into a church ser- service and preach and not prepare for anything because the Holy Spirit's going to tell you what He wants you to say. Exactly. Absolutely not. Nonsense. That couldn't be a more a more misconstrued interpretation of what of what they're saying here. Uh, we first of all, when it talks about the answers that you would get if you're brought before synagogues and rulers and authorities and for your faith and and you, that you had no way to know what they're going to ask you the 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 first thing is that the the greek word that they talk about the answers is apologies or uh, where we get our word apologetics or the defense of 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 yep. the of the of the uh, truth of god and it does not mean that if you're asked to, to teach that you don't prepare for that. That's just yes. crazy. <laughs> yes. As a matter of fact, where we see the sister passage of this, when, when Peter says, I want you to sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to give a apologia, a yeah. defense for the faith. Peter says there, you should always be ready to. And here it's saying, don't worry about it. You can wing it. That would be a contradiction. Yeah, They're not contradicting not. each other. This is, again, where context matters. The point is, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. The context is when you're being pulled before these judges and these people. And why? Because of the faith that's so clearly evident in your life that they hate you for it. Yes. Don't forget that. So when that is the case, what happens is what I like to call planned spontaneity. And that is you've studied, you've planned, you've worked through those things. And what happens is God comes in and he enables you. He draws your attention to the things that you need to communicate when, what, how, all of that is covered, and he draws you to that, and you are speaking rightly before the people that are before you. Yeah. This is what you do. But, I, you know, you and I have talked about this too many times that you have, when you take passages out of context, you have people, pastors specifically, in this instruction that will say, hey, the Holy Spirit will give you what you need to say when you need to say it. You don't know what you're talking about. The Holy Spirit says that when you're brought before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about it. If you're preaching, study to show thyself approved. If you're preaching, you better rightly divide the word of truth. Otherwise, you probably just need to sit the heck down. Yeah. And Jesus was speaking these words to men who would face this exact thing in the yes. very near future. In the very near future, they were going to be standing there giving giving a defense of why they believed in Christ. And, and Jesus' disciples could have perfect trust in God in those moments, knowing that the Spirit is going to speak through them, even if they were unprepared for that. That's what this is saying. Yes, yes <laughs> so, absolutely. Oh, okay, so we, we transition into verse 13, jumping off our soapbox, hallelujah, yeah. <laughs> and into the rest of this text. We're sorry we digress. But anyway, verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I've been asking that forever. But anyway, okay, verse 14, my mom and dad don't have any money, so it doesn't matter anyway, verse 14. But he said to him... Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And of course, we all want to go, 
your King Jesus, God did. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> okay, moving on. Verse 15, then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Now, before we jump into that parable, uh, Sarah had chimed in uh, about a week ago and said in verse 15, Jesus warns against every form of greed. That made me pause, she said, and consider what other forms of greed there are, covetousness, stinginess, gluttony, hoarding. These are some that come to mind. The example Jesus gave was a man who built bigger barns to hold his abundant crops. And we're going to get into that parable in a second. I see that as being practical, but Jesus said that it was a form of greed. Does anyone else have any insight on this? Uh, that was Sarah's question, and it continues, says, Is it because he got lazy and congratulated himself? I have a feeling that we are confronted with greed more often than we'd like to admit. And Jonathan and Bobby Daniels chimed back in with that and said, At the end of the parable, Sarah mentioned, Jesus says, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The way I understand it, was that the man was more concerned about his own wealth than he was with God's work. It is possible that there is a reasonable amount of storing and then, uh, or is it possible that there is a reasonable amount of storing and then a point when a person has just hoarded uh, for themselves? In this parable, that point seems to be when you have so much, you tear down your old barns and you build bigger ones. And Sarah confirmed that, that she, she felt that that was a, in a point of agreement. She asked the final question, says, does anybody have any further thoughts on this? And I think we'll, we'll, we'll kind of elaborate on this a little bit. But um, first is Jesus' statement, who made me? Who appointed me judge and <laughs> arbiter between you? Um, it's just an interesting, yeah, yeah. An interesting question. Any it, thoughts on that? Let, yeah, let's let's just walk through it a little bit. Yeah. It is. Uh, it, it wouldn't have been unusual. First of all, uh, rabbis uh, would uh, would take questions from the people that they were teaching sometimes, and sometimes they were asked to judge a situation and to judge it rightly. And they would assume that let give them the benefit of a doubt that they would they were assumed that they were going to judge in a godly way, and in, in a way that used the law to be able to make some type of a, uh, a godly judgment in a situation. This was, not, this was kind of that, but listen to what the guy says. Now, first of all, this man, he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Yeah. Well, first of all, if, if, he's, if he's the older brother, he's going to get two-thirds of it, and, and, and the younger brother is going to get a third. That's already, there's a, there's a divide that, that happens there. That's already set down. But he didn't ask Jesus to ask him to follow the law. That said, He said, take my side of it, because I, to tell him to divide the inheritance with me. He didn't say tell him to do it rightly. So exactly. first of all, he he's asking them a, a, a question, and in in the midst of this, that doesn't even follow what would have been ordinary proper way to do this. He doesn't ask Jesus to make a righteous judgment. He asked Jesus just to take sides with him against his brother. So obviously, at that point, Jesus looks at him and says, 
man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? Exactly. Yeah. So I think this is, yet again, a way in which we arrive at an understanding. First of all, what we know from verse 13 is very little, right? Let me, let me give you a, a just, let, let's do a little uh, example, uh, and I believe that this would be a, an example in missing the point, but let me give you an example in missing the point if all we read was verse 13 and we made a lot of conjecture from it, right? For example, we could say, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Well, I could conclude a lot of things. I can conclude that the reason they're asking Jesus is because the dad is dead and the older brother is being stingy and he wants him to give it away. I have no way of proving that, but I could make all kinds of dumb ideas up and throw it into the text. Number two, Jesus Jesus is this rabbi figure inside of this who could have just allowed them to follow the Levitical law. You know, we find this stuff in Deuteronomy 21, Numbers 27, Numbers 36. We can see these pieces that are in there. Uh, Jesus could have said, "Uh, that's not my place. Mm -hmm. Jesus could be saying... You have right people to go ask these questions to. I'm not the official leader, so you go to them. Who knows? I could be making all kinds of stuff up. Sure. But what we do come to is when we read the full text, Mm -hmm. after we read the parable and we get to Jesus's point, we start to realize what was at the heart of this guy's question. But if all I'm going to read is 13, I can make a whole lot of crap up and never get anywhere. But when I read it all, what I do get to is that the motivation for this question is greed. It's greed, absolutely. It's a problem. And Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to make anybody do anything. I'm actually going to point out the problem Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with your questions. So that's a really important way in which we have to read the text of Scripture. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great point, and that's exactly, I think, what Jesus uses this. This man, I, <laughs> he, he, he just dove right in <laughs> and, yes. and, and, and asked something that, would, that Jesus caught immediately, that the problem was greed, and it's what more, bam, what a bam. better time yes. to, to teach about greed and to be on your guard against every form of greed. He is he saying that that was a form of greed? Well, yeah. It would seem to be. It would seem it to would be. Seem. I do I do love how Jesus does these things sometimes where he goes, "Man, who appointed me judge and arbiter <laughs> over you?" And before anybody talks, he goes, "Beware." Yeah, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, in other words, who appointed me? But while I'm here, yeah. I'm going to go ahead and do it. So, verse 15, "Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed." For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. That is a that is a statement right there that if you will let that sink into your heart, it will transform you completely. Yeah. Your life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It doesn't consist in your possessions at all. It does not consist there. Mm-hmm. Your life is found in Christ or it is not yes. life. And that is something that we really... I don't know. We really need to embrace. We need to see this. So he goes on and he says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. (laughs) And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. 
By the way, that's a that's a statement <laughs> that is not good. Okay, but moving yeah. on, verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? Mm-hmm. So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Mm. Thoughts? Well, he... He starts off. This this land was obviously good. It was it was uh, good, and and the man starts off with a very uh, uh, thought provoking question. Uh, he says, "What what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops?" There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. That's not a, a bad thing to be thinking ahead a little bit and saying, hey, things are going well here. I'm, uh, uh, I'm, going to try to figure out what I'm going to do with all these extra crops. And so not necessarily so bad. So this man had a wealth of resources, evidently. So he, he's able to say, I, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Yeah. There, I'll be able to store all my grain and all my good. Living life, he's living the good life at this point. Yes. But we will see later on that God says yeah. to him, calls him a fool. Yes. This very night, his soul is going to be required Absolutely. of him. Absolutely. So what have we read in this context already? We've talked about this idea of fearing God, not man. Um, according to fearing man can come with fearing the circumstances of life. I think that that can be a part of it. I'm not suggesting that that is intended to be read here, but it's all in line in this teaching, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, Mm -hmm. just after he dealt with that, someone in the crowd chimes in and says, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance. Second point of context is really important. The person he's addressing seems very clear to be the guy who wants right? The guy who wants. The brother doesn't seem to be present here, but that's how I'm reading it. It's the guy who wants. He addresses the guy who wants by saying, who appointed me, and then says, be on your guard against every form of greed. So he seems to be attacking the guy who wants and defining that as greed. Verse 16, then when he tells this parable, you'll notice two things about this, uh, two statements, questions of this landowner that are really telling. The two questions are always asked of himself. Mm, Yes. He reasoned to himself, what shall I do? And later he says, soul, meaning his own soul, you have many goods laid up for you. Take it easy and be merry. He gives kind of this this statement of a reassurance. You notice he never goes to God with what he's doing. He never says, Lord, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Maybe God says, I want you to do this. I want you to build a barn. But it wasn't in his relationship with God. This was a question he asks himself, and his pride is in praising himself. He's like, wow, way to go. You came up with a good idea. I've yet to meet a human being that didn't think their ideas were great. (laughs) So this guy is not going to God. And verse 20 hits him hard. You fool, this very night your soul is required for you. Why is that so important? Uh, Because God is the one who knows the day and the hour. God is the one who governs our life. And by not going to him, by only being worried about my greed and my want and my provision and my preparation, by doing that, what happens if my life is demanded from me tonight? What will all that work have done? That's what Jesus is getting at. If your soul is required of you, now who will own what you have prepared? Well, who's going to own it? Everybody but you, because you're dead. 
all in one night, yes. everything this man had accomplished, his plans were completely done. It was over with for him. He'd made business plans, life plans, He and, and all of it, were, it was instantly nothing. It, it says the, the man was a fool. He was not a fool because he was rich. He was not a fool because he was trying to prepare for the future. He was a fool because he lived without any type of awareness and preparation yes. for his eternal soul. Yes. That that's he lived without any any concern for anything with eternal value. Yes. And no why, concern. And why do we know that God didn't have a problem with storing up, but this problem with greedy storing it was greed, up? Yeah. Because he already owned barns. Yes. Jesus doesn't walk in and say, uh, there is a man who owned barns. I sent him to hell. <laughs> like, yeah. that, that's a real short story, but that story doesn't exist because God didn't have a problem with this guy storing. The problem was, why? There's greed. There's a problem in his eat, drink, and be merry. This whole idea of he just wants to live high on the hog. Mm-hmm. There's a problem yeah. with this attitude. And he's not, he's not called out to God for any. Of these things, so it's really absolutely. Important. If you if you look at that story and you and you break it down, it was my crops, my barn, my goods, my soul. Everything was about him, and nothing was about God. Yes. There were, and and that's he's on a very uh, dangerous path. There, it was it was proven in the end that really this man didn't really own anything. He didn't own any. Because he didn't take any of it. it with him. Exactly. <laughs> um, so one of the things that this uh, statement of "eat, drink, and be merry" reflects is kind of a hedonistic idea of the day. But we can also we can also remember the um, the despair that we find in Ecclesiastes and this idea that the, the, the preacher says, if, if this is all life is, you know, we should eat and drink and be merry effectively. It, it's, we should just do this because that's what life is all about. That's actually a sign of what life is not about. Mm. You have no hope. You have no joy if that's all it is. Now, I want to say something. Uh, God has given us food, God has given us drink, and God has given us joy. Sure, we should be a part of that. But not when it's motivated this way. Absolutely. Not when what you're doing is so that you can sit back and do nothing. Yeah. And you can enjoy life without any consideration for anybody else. So let's let's wrap this section up. We're going to try to hit to verse 34. But he goes in 22, and he said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, Mm -hmm. for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable uh, you are than the birds. Now, important piece of commentary here. The scripture also tells us that the man who doesn't work doesn't eat. Right. This is right. not saying the ravens don't sow or reap, so neither should you. That is not what's being said. Absolutely. The ravens don't concern themselves with this. They're not afraid mm-hmm. of. So trust the Lord your God, right? So this this kind of concept is is yet again present. Verse 25. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? Based on the amount of worry that goes on in the world today, I would think that most people think they can add mm-hmm. time to their life by how much they worry. <laughs> but that, that's that's a problem there. Yes. So any thoughts up to 25? It, it's, it just seems that it, it, I, I love in, in 22 where he, he says the very first things that it says, and he said to his disciples, for this reason, 
What was that reason? He just said, so is the man, so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. That was the last thing he had said before he said, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life. It would seem that greed and worry are somewhat closely connected. Absolutely. Somewhat there could be greed is I can never get enough. Uh, uh, worry is afraid you'll never have enough. Uh, and neither of those things focus you on God. Uh, it, to, to not worry is a, is a command from God, but it is a, it, it's a loving command. Yes, because he never makes that command without an invitation Absolutely. that says, trust me. Right? It's, it's one thing if we look at each other and we say, stop worrying, Barney. And I don't offer you any place mm-hmm. in which to put your trust. My words are empty. I'm yes. just trying to yes. tell you not yes. to do something. You can't do that. But Jesus says, I want you to fear not. But then he would tell us, cast your burdens on me. The rest of this parable is going to, or the rest of this teaching to the disciples after this parable is going to further this idea. But before we get to that, uh, Matt Wesley chimed in yet again on verses 20 through, 20 through 34. And I, I love his comments here. He says, Jesus tells us to stop obsessing over money, clothes, wealth, possessions, etc., and to be rich in God. And tells us in verse 30, your father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Now, I love, I love Matt's excitement here. He says, how amazing. And then he says this, he certainly is not selling us Great picture, Matt, by the way. He's not selling us a lottery ticket, as in, be in my kingdom and I'll make you rich. No, he's telling us that through his word, we can find what will make us feel more rich than any possession ever could. Most importantly, Jesus wants our possessions uh, our possessions to not possess us. I wow. love that statement. It's very insight. powerful, right? And so where we're at with this is that are these things possessing you? I love Matt's mm-hmm. statement here, right? Are these things possessing you? And so we have to ask this question that says, isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Well, mm-hmm. everybody believes that. Everybody mm-hmm. believes that there's more value in us than just the clothing we wear or the food that we eat. But we don't live like yes. it sometimes. Yes. And so verse 25, which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? Hy- you know, this is a this is a hypothetical question. The answer is nobody can. Verse 26, if then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Mm-hmm. Right there, we have another issue that ties greed. It ties worry back to the previous passage we started with, fear of man. All of those are tied mm-hmm. With not trusting. Yes. Who are you trusting here? Either you, men, other people in the world, your possessions, but what you're not trusting is God. So we're back to that question that the, the, the guy in the parable asks himself. He says, what shall I do? Why are you asking yourself? Yeah. Why yeah. don't you ask the one who Absolutely. has this power? Absolutely right. And I love the word that Jesus uses when he says, consider, this is... Ordinarily, you would see him say something like, behold the lilies or something. It's it's a little bit of an uncommon word. It meant to examine it closely, to learn thoroughly from what the lilies do. They they didn't they didn't work. They didn't... Uh, 
it, it is it can it can mean to 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 perceive something, to learn something. That's what he's saying. Learn something from what's going on here. And yes. and if we rely on God for so many things, we don't we don't understand sometimes. We don't perceive or we don't consider the fact that there are many things that God takes care of that that we 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 just totally miss and we worry about ourselves and we're far more valuable to God than yeah. what these flowers were. He says this these things are are that when they dry up they're thrown into the fire to heat with or to 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 warm ourselves with. It's not good for anything. Aren't you far more valuable than that? Yes, absolutely. If we will put all of this together, even with the language about Solomon, right, and how he was dressed and all of this, if we put that together with the eat, drink, and be merry concepts, it would really benefit everybody who's listening to this podcast, everybody who's who's studying Luke chapter 12, to go back and read Ecclesiastes. Because Mm. what you come away with is... What you come away with is the woes of living life this way, and and all, it comes with great pleasure, right? Living mm-hmm, life this mm-hmm. way about caring about what's in your barns. Uh, Jesus is not actually saying um, if you store up, you'll be you'll be destroyed that very night. Some people store up; they keep all their treasures, and Jesus, God, knows that they're going to live a very long life. The Book of Ecclesiastes shows us it, life is not found or fulfillment in life is not found in all of that. In the end, the book of Ecclesiastes wraps up with this statement that says, here's what life's all is about. Fear the Lord. We were instructed to do that at the beginning of the chapter. Fear the Lord and keep his commands. And what would we put in keep his commands here? Well, you need to go to him first and say, God, what would you have me do? And he might say, listen, I, I don't want you, just what he tells his disciples, I don't want you to worry about uh, money and clothing and all those other things. You trust me. Mm-hmm. You trust me. He is telling them what he would tell us, and that is, you don't have to worry about these things. I'll take care of you. That doesn't mean you don't work. That doesn't mean you don't labor. But it means you trust him for the outcome, and you don't trust yourself, quite yes, frankly. absolutely. Absolutely. He he ties uh, 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 this this faith, this men of little faith, into this whole thing about worrying, and if you if you think about that, the very the very essence of worry is the absence of faith. If you if you have faith, it, now it's it's you have very faith in something. You've got whatever yes, you're worrying exactly. about. Exactly. Yeah. You've good. got so it's the very essence of the thing. Yeah. So. It, it it is it is it is a faith issue, and it's a it's a non trust issue, and yes. faith is trust. Yes, so absolutely. we don't trust. So he he caps off this this section after says you men of little faith, and says and do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, or do not keep worrying, for all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. Now, that right there is to say, don't be like the world. Mm -hmm. And we all know that that's a repeated biblical idea that says, stop being like the world. But your father knows that you need these things. Verse 31, back to a point Matt made before, but seek his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Jesus is not there saying, seek the kingdom and I'll give you that bigger barn. Mm -hmm. He's not saying Mm -hmm. that. Could it happen? Sure. Sure, God God can give lots of great things, but he is telling you all of your needs, they'll be added to you. They'll be met inside of your life. 
Do not be afraid, little flock. I love the gentleness of this right here. Do not be afraid, little flock. For your Father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So then he calls them to the same thing he calls the rich young ruler to. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out. That's an image to saying something that collects a heavenly reality. Yes. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes nor does moth destroy. For where your treasure is... There your heart will be mm-hmm. also. The care of Jesus in that statement. Remember this. Jesus can look at you and say, you have little faith. But he still loves you because verse 32 comes in and says, little flock. Yes. Please hear this. The Father has chosen gladly to give you his kingdom. Yeah. Yes. So so trust him. Yes. That's, that, that's amazing. I love something that you said just a, just a second ago earlier about that when, when, he, when Jesus says, uh, don't, don't keep worrying, he didn't just tell them to stop worrying. He, he gave them something to place their faith in, to put their minds on. When he says, it, it's, it, replace that worry with a concern for the kingdom of God. Don't, and and it's, it, it, it's like you've said earlier, we tell people all the time, well, you just need to not worry. Well, okay, then That's what do you do? That's not very helpful. Place your, place your concern in the things, seek his kingdom and all, and his righteousness, it says in another place, all these things will be added to you. And Nathan, I love what verse 32 says, because there is a change, a slight change in the language that if we miss, yes. it's, it's big. He says, do not be afraid, little flock. For your father, not yes. my father, yes. he, Jesus Yours. had said up to this point, my father, your father has chosen to gladly give you the kingdom. Man, that gives me cold chills. Yes. And yes. it makes me, man, and that's we've, awesome. And we've seen this power in verse 30. He says, your father knows that you need these things. This, yes. this entire chapter is, it starts off pretty harsh in that he deals with some, he deals with some, uh, you know, some fear issues, right? He's dealing with that. And he's saying, you've got to trust the one who has the power to throw you into mm-hmm. hell. And we all go, gosh, I don't want to talk about hell. And we try to move on. But keep going and find out where this chapter goes. And what you see is Jesus coming down and saying, okay, let me let me make sure you understand something. You're not trusting him well. Mm-hmm. But listen, little flock, Listen, little flock, your father knows what you have need of. Your father is going to give you these things. Your father has gladly chosen you. I mean, whoa, these are all powerful, powerful ideas. So so this has really been a fun conversation in just these 34 verses. We're going to come back again in tomorrow's podcast, and we're going to take it the rest of the way. If you have questions, if you have ideas, if you have comments, if you have points of agreement, points of disagreements, we want to hear it. You can get on the YouVersion Bible uh, app, and you can join us. You can look for us, Nathan Frankhauser or Barney Estes on there. You can uh, invite us as a friend, do a friend search in there. We will add you to our um, a group. There's over 20-some people that are going through this every day and posting comments. We're going we're gonna to read those comments out as we go through these podcasts as well. But we would love to hear your points. If you want to post them on Facebook, do that. Also, you can email us at nathanfrankhauser at gmail.com or barneyestes at yahoo.com or at piercepointchurch at gmail.com. Uh, this has just been 
been very life-giving uh, up to this point. Just so you guys know, we're getting great feedback, great comments. Um, what we would love for you to do is help us grow this idea, and that is to share the podcasts on your social media. It doesn't matter which way you do it. Could be Facebook, could be uh, Instagram. You can share links on there. You can share anything and everything that you want to do. But we encourage you to do that. Also, hit like on it if you liked it. If you didn't like it, don't like it. It's fine. <laughs> but uh, hit like on it if you like it. Hit share uh, if you'd like for uh, this thing to continue to have a greater impact. We love you guys. God bless you. Have a great day.